um, we're going to continue our sermon series in the Gospel of Mark. And so our goal in this series is some of you are asking yourselves, you're looking at your Bible, and you're saying, where the heck do I start? There's some names I can't pronounce in the Old Testament. I don't know what's going on in the New Testament. Does this even matter? This happened 2,000 years ago. I'm a Christian. I love Jesus. I know I should be in my word more. I know it's the way to grow in Christ. How do I do that? Let me give you a helpful way right now. You grow with the community in the sermon series, in the book we're studying together. What if over the next few months, you just dove into the book of Mark? What if you read that one? Like these three verses I'm preaching on this week. What if you read those three verses this week and you meditated on them? Like I love, a few people are telling me, I've read the passage, I'm ready for you today. I said, this is serious, you are not playing around. It's a great way where we as a church come together as the body of Christ and we say, what did Jesus say? Who is Jesus and how do we apply it to our life? So this week we're going to learn from Mark 1, 9 through 11. I'm just going to read that to you right now. You can turn there if you would like. That's Mark chapter 1. Verses 9 through 11. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens opening and the Spirit descended on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. So this is the greatest baptism celebration we will ever see. Now, we have great baptism celebrations here, right? It's when we get the loudest as a church. I know who, I figured something out yesterday when a preacher was preaching. Because I'm always asking for amens and no one's amen in here. It's just not how we roll. We get an amen once in a while, so someone's moved a little bit. You guys amen by taking notes. I learned that from a preacher yesterday. There's no takers in here. And it finally clicked, because I've been trying to get you to be someone you're not. When you take no's, I'm going to start taking that as amens, all right? But we have great celebrations in here, because we realize that when someone is baptized, God is rejoicing in the heavens because someone has been brought from darkness to light, because a soul has been saved, because someone has been ushered from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God, because now that soul that was headed for punishment of God has brought brought into the grace of God people cheer it should be more rowdy than the Patriots game and dare I even say the Celtics as a Celtics fan it's a rowdy thing when someone gets baptized because it's a victory celebration and so today you're going to see a victory celebration like never before because it's baptism of Jesus and you don't outdo Jesus that's a good principle to live by right you don't outdo Jesus he's the one He's the one we rejoice over. He's the one we cheer over. He's the one, he's our champion. He's our God. He's our king. And we're going to see something beautiful happen. The Father, Son, and the Spirit, God who exists as one, but he, I'll dive into that later. We're going to talk a little Trinity theology today, okay? Danny, you just popped up in the back. You like when I say theology. We see Father, Son, and Spirit interacting, rejoicing at what happened, you know? So I want a few things to happen today. I want, you, the question might pop up right away. Why is Jesus getting baptized? Isn't baptism for the forgiveness of sins? Why is Jesus getting baptized? We're going to answer that question. You're going to grow as an everyday theologian today. Secondly, we're going to learn a little bit more about how God reveals himself in his Trinitarian nature and be able to put that into action. 
And of course, what we like to do in every message, if we don't walk away with not only the knowledge of God, of God, but something we can apply to our life, application of faith to become more like Jesus and live as lights in this world, then we miss the text. So we're going to talk about things like, have you been baptized on your own free volition? I threw that in there on you. Should you be baptized if you have not been baptized? I'll give you a quick yes, but ask yourself that question. Secondly, I want to talk about something that's been important that I've heard a lot of members talking about. Just the process of sanctification. Because when people think of baptism, they're thinking, let me get myself perfect so I can get ready for baptism. But the scripture, everyone gets baptized dirty. It's the first step. You're not baptizing people in their perfection. You're, you're baptizing them in their dirtiness. That sign of the Holy Spirit has started to work in them and he's going to walk with them through the rest of their life. And so we'll talk about the process of sanctification. And finally, we're going to just talk about what the nature of a Christian should be um, when it comes to terms of the Holy Spirit working in us and what kind of nature he gives us. So let's start here. Why did Jesus get baptized? The first thing we're thinking of is baptism. What it symbolizes is the washing away of our sins. It, it, the old life going to a new life. It's... Um, as John the Baptist, we learned the previous weeks, he was calling people to repentance. It was a baptism for the repentance of sins. So why is Jesus showing up to be baptized when he has nothing to be washed away? So we're going to have to sneak a little bit over to the Gospel of Matthew. I'll just give you a few hi highlights. In, in Matthew 3.14, see Mark is an action gospel. So he just gets right at what's going on. Jesus showed up. Jesus was baptized. The Father said, I'm well pleased with you. The Spirit descended like a, a dove. It's an action gospel. He, he doesn't he expound much. He just tells you immediately this happened. Action. See, Matthew unpacks it a little bit more that has to do with the personality God used and the people they were called to reach and who Mark was writing to. But Matthew gives us a little more insight to what happened that day. Jesus showed up to be baptized at the Jordan River. And you know how John the Baptist responded? Remember what he said last week in our first week? He said, I'm not even worthy to tie the sandals of Jesus. He's that mighty. I'm not even worthy of untying his shoes, taking off his shoes. Like that is too great a task because he's that great. Imagine being the dude who baptizes the Son of God. Woo, I get nervous at baptism service. If Jesus rolled up, it'd be like, everyone, let's slow this down for a second. Let's slow, slow this down, right? Jesus, he walks into the water, and John is just like, he tries to stop Jesus from getting baptized. He says, Jesus, what are you doing? Like, and I just want to read this verse to you so you get a little more, you grow in this. It says, John would have prevented him in Matthew three fourteen, saying, I need to be baptized by you, Jesus. And do you to me, do you need to be baptized by me? John is saying, you should be baptized in me. I'm not worthy of this. And Jesus goes on to answer. He said, let it be so now, for thus it is fulfilling. It is fitting for us to fill, fulfill all righteousness. So I need you to hear two truths. If someone asks you, why was Jesus baptized? Because you're going to be a practical preacher. People are going to ask you this over coffee. People are going to ask you this over lunch. People are going to ask at work, why was Jesus baptized? Why do you believe? We need to be able to give an answer. So let's start here. He was baptized 
to fulfill all righteousness. Okay, that's the answer Jesus gives us. So let's unpack that just a little bit. We as people, and I read that in a a devotional this week, and it's so helpful, and we'll unpack it more later to apply it to our lives. But we are always looking for events, right? Like, when is this going to happen, then everything's all right. When is this event, oh, that event, everything's going to be fine. When that event happens, I will never fear again, I swear. When that event happens, I'm going to be the happiest person. When that happens, this event, I'm actually going to make another friend. I'll do it if this happens. We're looking for events. That one day, this event happens and everything is changed. What we don't realize is even with the work of the gospel, there was magnificence of event, magnificent events. When Jesus died for the forgiveness of the sins of the world for all who would believe, that's a magnificent event. When Jesus rose again after three days, confirming the gospel was true. That's a magnificent event. But Jesus lived roughly 33 years of his life in a process of living perfectly and fulfilling all righteousness. Every day, every minute, overcoming every temptation, controlling every thought, loving people, caring for people, serving people. There was a process of perfection. That process, during that process, he is fulfilling all righteousness. Next week when we talked about him being tempted by the enemy so he would sin, he fulfilled the process, he fulfilled righteousness by overcoming the work of Satan. When he rightfully answered the religious leaders who were not even of the kingdom of God and did it in perfect love and holiness, that was part of the process of fulfilling all righteousness. When he is baptized today, he's not being baptized for his sin. He's being baptized as the process of fulfilling all righteousness for our sin. Does that make sense to everyone? It was part of the will of the Father that he would be baptized in obedience, not for his sin, but for our sin, that he might fulfill all righteousness. Jesus constantly was saying, not my will. Father, what is your will? And his will that he would be baptized that people would follow in his footsteps. So then we're baptized, we're baptized for our sin because Jesus fulfilled all righteousness. Does that make sense to everyone? That process, event there? That's the first thing. He was baptized to fulfill all righteousness. Secondly, we have to know through Jesus' answer that he was sinless, that he was absolutely sinless. This is a doctrine that is so important. There's certain doctrines that are revealed in Scripture that you can't take out or the whole foundation crumbles. Okay? We see all throughout the New Testament, we see all throughout the prophecies in the Old Testament that a lamb would be sacrificed without blemish, without sin. Jesus was sinless, and that's why today we can say we are forgiven. If Jesus committed one sin, one sin, if he lied, if he stole, if he gossiped, there is no atonement for us on the cross. But we revel in the truth that Jesus was absolutely sinless, fully God, and fully man. Do you guys hear that? So you come, two things, why was Jesus baptized? Fulfill all righteousness, and I have to hold on to the second truth. 
that he was absolutely sinless. So that brings us into this baptism celebration. You know, I remember one of my happiest moments as a dad was when my two daughters got baptized. It was just a wonderful, wonderful thing. I got to be part of it. When you're the pastor, you're right, you're front row. And I got to see my two daughters be baptized. You know why I was so excited they're being baptized? Because they were being obedient to God. They were heeding the words of Jesus who calls us to be baptized. Because I know that they understood that God was love and he sent his own son. I also was so happy that they realized they were sinners. It's a wonderful thing when your kids realize they're sinners. And they need the cleansing grace of God to wash away their sins. And I still remember the celebration. I remember my daughters coming out of the water. I'm hugging them. I'm kissing them. Taya's all excited. I got the videos. I still watch them by myself and weep once in a while. You do that in private as a man. And um, I still remember Kara. When she came out of the water, it was like she just hit a goal in a hockey game to win the game in game seven. Jacqueline and Kylie grabbed her like they won the game. She had the towel on. I have the picture. It was like they had a trophy. It was just this unbelievable celebration of what happened. And that's what's happening today because you see God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit just rejoicing in what, what has happened. You see this um, proud dad. This proud dad. See, God made us in his image so we could relate to him. So our everyday life when we love and in relationship, family and friends, we're able to know God better. So we, all the dads out there can feel a little bit more. When you're a proud dad and you see your kid do something, what kind of joy that brings to your heart? I'm telling you, the Heavenly Father got so riled, out that he, riled up that he spoke audibly and said, this is my son who I'm well pleased with. I remember the first time my oldest daughter hit a jumper in a basketball game. It was seven games into a 10-game season. I showed her how to release it, and every game I'll be like, she's going to hit her first jumper, man. I'm under the hoop, and we gather deep at sports games in my family. You got me, you got Natalie, you got Papa. He's got his collar popped, his spiked hair. He's ready to go. The graces are there. Everyone's there. We're under the hoop. And she had taken shots before, but she was a little timid getting used to shooting. And I said, don't be afraid to shoot, Tal. You've got to hit that shot. You can hit that shot. You hit it in the yard, you'll hit it in the game. And then I still remember like a slow motion. Someone passed it to her at the top of the key. She caught it perfect form. She looked at me a little bit. She went up. She released that ball. And I felt like it took about 10 years for that thing to go through the hole. Because we were under the hoop. It went through the hole. I act like an absolute nut. I was like, yeah, tell her, that's how you do. That's how you do. Natalie's cheering how she cheers. People are excited she hit a shot. Jovek starts crying. I'm not making this stuff up. Look over, Papa's crying because his granddaughter hit a jumper. But what I can't explain here, you're getting emotional again, Jovek. <laughs> It was a good shot. But what happened between the whole family, there was this interaction of love and of joy that just overflowed. 
This is what's happening at the baptism of Jesus. What I've left out of the picture is how much pleasure and joy Talia had that everyone was so happy for her and rejoicing in her hitting that shot. Can we even really give words and fully understand? We understand partially the joy that God the Son felt as his Father spoke from heaven and said, this is my Son with whom I am well pleased. And the Spirit descended like a dove. The joy, the celebration that day for the greatest was unbelievable. And so what I want to do today um, additionally is, can I give you a simple definition of the Trinity? If someone came up to you in the streets and said, can you explain to me the Trinity? You'd be like, listen, that's my past. I don't know. Let me read this to you and see. Hopefully um, we can remember some of it. I know it's a process, but this is a simple definition of the Trinity right here. I think it's, it's similar to Grudem's and Piper's. That God is one in essence, but he exists in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. Some important things to remember from this, because I know that's mysterious right out the gate, right? That God is one, okay? This is huge. We're not polytheists. We don't believe like the Hindu religion or other religions that have hundreds of gods. We don't believe in three distinct gods. We believe in one God, that God is one. That's one of the first revelations from God to man. There is only one God, but he exists eternally in three persons. That each person is fully God and equally God. You guys hear me? There were some heretical doctrines that came out in the early church. It's called subordinationism. That, you know, you had the Father at the top, then the Son is under Him, then the Spirit's under Him. No, no, no. Fully equal, flowing out of each other. One God that exists in three persons. Now, it's undoubtedly the most mysterious doctrine in the Bible. Can I get an amen or take a note? Yeah? That's he's a name men out there. It's mysterious. I'm not going to belittle that there's things revealed in Scripture that we don't fully understand until we are with God eternally. I mean, the Scriptures say that. Some things are for God to know now. We are revealed in part, and we see in part, and we see dimly. But we know certain truths that God is one. He exists in three persons. John Piper says this, and once again, I understand this is just peeling it back a little bit more. So I don't expect to say this. Everyone, I was questioned about the Trinity. I know it perfectly now. That doesn't happen with the doctrine of Trinity. You peel it back little by little in that process, and you begin to understand and see God more. So I think a key that is to help to peel it back a little bit more is to understand the difference between essence and persons. Okay? So God is one in essence, but he's revealed he uh, exists in, as three persons. So essence is this. Let me give you something simple. I think John Piper, this is the way you're going to remember it. That God is made up of the same stuff. That's deep, right? Deep stuff. He's of the same nature, of the same quality. He is one. He's made up of the same stuff. That's essence. That's inseparable. That's your one. That's the mystery of God. He is one. He is not divided. He is not different parts. He is not broken up. He is perfectly one. He is one God. We worship one God. The person's part 
is where the mystery unfolds more. So not like persons, like we understand persons, okay? So right now you're like, that one's divided, that one's divided, this person's divided, everyone's divided. Not persons as we understand. We're trying to understand in a finite, human-like way. Persons in this way, that when the Father interacts with the Son, the Father says, I, and he says to Jesus, you. When Jesus interacts with the Spirit, Jesus says, I, and he says to the Spirit, you. The same with the Spirit with the Father. There is interaction within those persons where they are still one God, yet they exist in three persons. So that, that eliminates modalism. I'm throwing out some words at you, but you're going to grow as an everyday theologian today. Modalism understands the Trinity wrong. It thought God was in heaven, then he got into a different mode and became Jesus and died for the sins of the world. Or that the Spirit was, can turn into a different mode and go up to the throne and sit on the throne like Jesus. That's different modes of God. No. The Spirit is working in us and through us to build the kingdom of God here on earth. Jesus is on his throne. The Father is in heaven. Like, these are, what you see at the baptism is this. What do you see? You see three persons there, but they're one. Okay? That defeats modalism. You see Jesus, God in the flesh, fully God, fully man. You see the Spirit descend like the dove, and you see the Father speak from heaven. That defeats modalism. Do you guys understand that a little bit? I know I'm peeling it back, but this is going to help you. It's a process. We're in this for life. Right? The most helpful thing when it came to the Trinity for me, because you see this happen only a few times in the Bible, where you see every person of the Trinity on the scene. What do you see in Genesis 1? You see God the Father speak, let there be light. And creation begins. You see the Holy Spirit, it says, is hovering over the face of the waters. So all of the Trinity is involved in creation. You see in John 1, it says that all things were made through the Son. You see in Genesis 1.26, what does it say? Let us make man in our image, which is the word Elohim, which is plural, yet one. So you see the interaction, the revelation of the Trinity all throughout Scripture with the culmination of the baptism of Jesus. And so this is what's going on. One of the most helpful things I've learned is sometimes we're, we get into, we're almost like Christianity is Greek mythology. So we project who God is by how we feel and who we are instead of understanding who we are by understanding who God is and we're made in his image. For example, some people say God made us because he needs us. God made us because he felt alone and he needed us. That's not true. That's spoken from people who have endured sin and loneliness and feel separated. God was never lonely. He existed perfectly. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. Perfect community, yet one for all of eternity. No beginning, no end. He created us out of an overflow of his love. And that helps you understand how you're made. You're made to live in community. Why do you want a family? Why do you want to be around people? You know, it's sin that makes you want to be alone all the time. That's sin. In Proverbs 22, 1, it says, sin causes a man to isolate himself. A man who always wants to be alone is a sinful man. Not that you don't need times to get away. Don't get, everyone's like, man, what, this is serious. I can't be alone no more. Watch Netflix. <laughs> I'm talking about the mark of your life is you're always alone. Sin isolates. Shame isolates. Guilt isolates. You start getting sin out of your life, you're going to start to want to socialize. A lot of you pe- people tell me, man, I'm just antisocial. Yeah, you're sinful. You need to repent of that. 
You don't like people. You haven't forgiven people. You, you hide sin. So everywhere you go, like, they know, man. They know. They know I'm sinning. When I don't see people for two months, they're out sinning. They're ashamed. They're just at home hiding. You know? You're antisocial. We get antisocial when we live in unrepented sin. When you meet social people, they're people that get the grace of God and understand they're made in the image of God and they want to be around people. They want to love people. They understand they need the grace of God every single day. And I'm talking to myself because my natural inclination is I want to be alone. I want to be alone. I can't stand you guys sometimes because of my own sin, right? I was just like, I don't want to deal with people anymore. I don't want to be around people anymore. I don't even want to deal with myself. Where can I hide? But to understand our nature and the deepened longings of our heart and the spirit of God within us, the spirit is always calling us to community because he has always been in community. Amen? That's what we got to understand. God is always calling us out of isolation. He's always calling us in the body of Christ. He's always calling us to fight for each other. What did Jesus pray? What did Jesus pray in John 17 when he prayed for his disciples? He said, Lord, make them one. Like we're one. Make them one like we're one. Like they can't be shaken. They can't be separated. They love each other that deeply. They rejoice in each other's victories. They fight when someone's down. They do all that. Let us have the love that, let them have the love that we have as the triune God. That's how we're made. You want to live in joy? Run to community. Run to each other. Forgive each other. Allow others to forgive you. Show each other grace show each other the love that has always existed in the nature of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit. So I want to give us a few things to apply to our life. I want to call some of us who have not been baptized of your own, on your own decision to be baptized because that's the pattern of Scripture. Okay? I understand I'm half Italian, half Irish. They dunk you within five days of your birth. You get that holy water. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I think one of the worst things we do is knock other Christians from different churches. That's not what I want to do today, but I want to tell you that the pattern of Scripture and what we kind of believe in here at Restoration Road is believer's baptism. That whatever age you can make your own decision that I believe in Jesus, I believe he died for my sins and I want to obey him, that that's when you should be baptized. So for some of you who are baptized as infants, I want to really call you today. October 8th, baby, put it on the calendar. We're having a baptism service. We won't do it like the Trinity, man. We can't live up to that. But we'll get riled up in here. We'll rejoice because of what God's doing in your life. If you have not been baptized of your own consent, would you see me or Pastor Dave? And we're going to rejoice on October 8th. We'd love, for you to, we'd love to be part of that, you know? So um, please hear that call. And I just want to read a simple definition of baptism for you. We're doing some terms today to grow in our faith. Baptism is an outward expression in response to Jesus' command in the Great Commission of what has happened inwardly through baptism of the Holy Spirit, which led to salvation. So what did we talk about last week? The baptism of the Holy Spirit. John says, I baptize with water, but God baptized, Jesus will baptize with the Holy Spirit. When that moment of salvation, 
When the Holy Spirit awakens your heart to the truth of the gospel and everything Jesus is, that leads, that happens inwardly. The outward expression is being baptized. The outward expression. It, it, it symbolizes your sins have been washed away, like I said before. It symbolizes your identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And you're being baptized into the body of Christ globally. That's what the scriptures teach us. Let's do it up on October 8th. Some of you, your heart's fluttering a little bit. You say, I'm going to do it. Let me not make a decision now. I'll talk about it after church. Let's do it. Listen to the word of the Holy Spirit. Listen to the command of our Savior Jesus. And enjoy all the benefits of baptism. It's a wonderful step. People say, when do I get baptized? Right after you believe. Right after you believe. Over and over again, I see people waiting years and years. Like I said earlier. If I can only get a little more mature, if I can only have better attendance at church, if I can only understand the book of Revelation a little better, then I'll get baptized. No, baptism is always the first step. I believe, where's the water at? That's the, that's the pattern of Scripture, right? And I'm telling you, in a similar way, when we are baptized, the triune God rejoices that we're being ushered into the kingdom of heaven. There's a rejoicing going on. I wish we could tear back the heavens a little bit and see the angels rejoicing and God rejoicing. It says, over one who is saved, the heavens rejoice. And so let's think of this in a spiritual aspect also. Also, I want to talk about this process and event mentality. Because after you get baptized, some people think I'm baptized Monday morning. I'm going to be a perfect Christian, just walking into work like, you need love? Me, love, baptized, clean, top, bottom. I'm just clean. You know what happens? You wake up a sinner on Monday, right? Like, they lied to me. I'm supposed to be totally new. <laughs> the process of sanctification begins. And you begin to walk as a sinner saved by grace and the Holy Spirit begins to convict you and tear things out of your life and use people, circumstances, and his word to change you. So I need you to hear this. And I, I read that Donald Whitney, I'll give him credit in a book I'm reading right now. He says people change three different ways. They change through other people, right? The people you hang around with most are shaping your life. And if you're just hanging around with yourself, you get no help. The people you hang around with most are shaping your life. Secondly, circumstances. God will use circumstances for us to depend on him. He will use circumstances to break us. He will use cir circumstances to bring us to our, knee, to our knees so we realize he's our only hope. He will use circumstances, and we can either get more prideful in the circumstances or we can change with humility. Use circumstances to change. God will put suffering in your life. Thank him. Thank him. Suffering produces holiness different trials you know in james 1 2 through 4 it says count it all joy my brothers that you meet trials of various kinds because you know that the testimony of faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have it full of have its full effect that you might be perfect and complete and lacking in nothing right so we all know we're going through everyone's going through something right now we're all going through something right now. And it's changing us. God used people. He used circumstances. 
and he uses his word, right? You know why I just threw out that memorization verse? Because I was going through something that I had to memorize that verse. I was like, I'm not going to make it. I'm going to memorize a verse because what's in my mind right now is going to destroy me. I need to meditate on the word of God. So I said, I got to study this while I'm going through trials. So when I'm ready to worry, I got to put that in my mind or I'm going down. Because I need that word of God to shape me. And that's a process. You are not going to wake. I am not going to wake up tomorrow and be perfect. The process is for the rest of our life, we've been becoming more like Jesus and becoming holy. And when we die and with Jesus in paradise, we'll have no more sin. Our Christ's return, that event, it says we will be like him. That's the event that we will be sinless. The process is sanctification that we're walking through right now. Where we're trying to repent of that lust. Where we're trying to stop being sneaky and still. When we're trying to stop loving the riches of this world more than we love God. When we're trying to stop cussing out our spouse when we should be loving and patient with them. When we're called to share the gospel with someone but we're still acting like cowards. And the Holy Spirit is saying, no, no, that's not my way. That's not the way of Christ. Repent and come home and walk like Jesus because that's where you'll find joy. That's where you'll change the world and that's where you'll change your family for good. That's what God is doing in our lives. That's what he's doing. I remember uh, Joe Vec, I call him when I need landscaping help. So there was this bush in my front lawn. I said, this bush needs to go. There was a set bush right here, and there's the little bush that was just thrown off the symmetry, and it bothers me. I'm OCD. It's crazy. So I said, Joe Vec, come over. We've got to get this bush out of here. So he shows up. Pop collar here. He's got better hair at his age than most guys have at 20. He shows up ready to go because he loves it. Sleeves cut off. Let's do this. Two shovels from 1922 that his great-grandfather gave him. Let's do this. So I hate yard work. No matter what I do, I do not like yard work. I envy these men that wake up, just look at the sun on the lawnmower, just clipping stuff. Like, what do you do? Just enjoying life, dog. I can't get there. I can't get there. So there's this bush. And I realized it was going to take a long time to get this bush out. Or maybe I didn't because my emotions were so crazy. I walked up to this bush. The plan was to take this bush out. I grunted and started trying to take this bush out, manhandling, grunting. And Joe Vex just looking back. Oh, what's this dog doing? And I just kept ripping it out. And I pulled back frustrated. I was like, this is ridiculous. I went back at it again. I'm going to pull this thing out. I don't want to deal with this. It's Saturday afternoon. It's going to take too long to get this bush out. Joe Beck looked at me and said, you're trying to do something in two minutes that's going to take a half an hour. That's our Christian life. We're trying to do something in two days that's going to take 20 years for the Holy Spirit to work in our life. You know what I needed? I needed help and I needed time. Joe Beck was the help and I needed to let it take as long as it needed to get that bush out. Some of us a living life like this. You're like, you okay, man? No. You won't forget that. And we wonder why we're tired. We wonder why we're beat down. We wonder why we don't want to be around church anymore. We wonder why we give up. We wonder why we don't want to open up our Bible. We wonder why we lost our joy. Because we forgot it was a process and not an event. In God's grace alone, 
will get us there. The Holy Spirit will finish the work he started in every one of us. Take that promise to the bank. But we need help and we need time. We need the Holy Spirit. And it's going to take a lifetime, whatever we have left. But I'm telling you right now, we're going to look like Jesus. We're going to love like Jesus. We're going to care like Jesus. We're going to serve like Jesus. We're going to be lights in a dark world because the Holy Spirit has got a hold of us. And finally, I've been reading through Jonathan Edwards' religious affections for like 10 years because these brothers wrote like in old English. You read one page, it's like reading 300 pages. I'm not lying. Try it out. But he said something in his book that hit me the, the biggest. He said, the nature of a Christian who's been baptized with the Holy Spirit, their nature should be dove-like. Should be dove-like. There's a detail we might have missed in this text. The Holy Spirit descended like a dove on the shoulder of Jesus, doing his work, pointing to the greatness of another. You know, if it was us, we want that to be a war eagle, right? Or the helmet, just land. It's a dove. It's a dove. And that was not just something that happened by chance. God was revealing to us something about the work of the Holy Spirit and the nature of a Christian, that we're called to be more dove-like. I know it's hard as a man even to say that. What do you want to be more dove-like? <laughs> right? But I want to read this quote. I want to read this quote from Jonathan Edwards that was really helpful to me because I know Jesus had this gentle dove-like spirit about him and he saved us. That's how you conquer. You don't overcome darkness with darkness. You overcome darkness with light. You don't overcome evil with evil. You overcome evil with good. That's what Jesus taught us. So I want to read this to you if you just take a moment to listen. The definition of, he's talking about being dove-like. That such a manner of virtue as has been spoken of is the very nature of the Christian spirit or the spirit that worked in Christ and in his members. And the distinguishing nature of it is evident by this, that the dove is the very symbol or emblem chosen of God to represent it. Those things are fittest emblems of other things which do best represent that which is most distinguishing in their nature. The spirit that descended on Christ when he was anointed of the Father descended on him like a dove. The dove is a noted emblem, and hear this, of meekness, of harmlessness, man, peace and love. But the same spirit that descended on the head of the church descends on its members. Would someone describe us as dove-like? Or does monster fit better? Don't mess with them, they're a monster. Do we aspire to be more meek? And you know what meekness is? The world doesn't revolve around us. It revolves around Jesus. I'm not the center of it. How about harmlessness? I'll tell you, with the Boston attitude, I don't think we're pushing harmlessness. It's like, do you know who you are talking to? You just made a mistake. You thought I was someone else. When you say things, I react. Right? I don't know if I, I that ain't dove-like. <laughs> Man, that we would adopt a gentle spirit. That husbands, we would be gentle 
in our communication with our wife, that wives, we would be meek in our communication with our husbands, that dads and moms, that we would be dove-like with our children, and they would remember us as gentle, even if we had to be authoritative. That we would be people of peace, right? Not people of drama, dove-like. That would be people of love, that quit, you know, forgive quickly. I don't think Bostonians were known, about, were known for um, forgiving quickly. About a decade we'll give it. But doves, they're peaceful, they're meek. That's the nature of the Holy Spirit working in us to be more gentle, meek, loving, and caring. Isn't that something we should aspire to? So Restoration Road, the Holy Spirit causes us to see Jesus as the greatest. As the greatest. We're made in his image to take on his likeness. Let us be loving and caring. If the Holy Spirit has spoken to you today to be baptized, let's do this. Let's pray.